Section fifty nine of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter ninety. Dear boy, my last was upon the subject of good breeding, but I think it rather set before you the unfitness and disadvantages of ill breeding than the utility and necessity of good. It was rather negative than positive. This, therefore, should go further, and explain to you the necessity, which you of all people living, lie under, not only of being positively and actively well-bred, but of shining and distinguishing yourself by your good breeding. Consider your own situation in every particular, and judge whether it is not essentially your interest, by your own good breeding to others, to secure theirs to you, and that, let me assure you, is the only way of doing it. For people will repay, and with interest too, inattention with inattention, neglect with neglect, and ill manners with worse, which may engage you in very disagreeable affairs. In the next place, your profession requires, more than any other, the nicest and most distinguished good breeding. You will negotiate with very little success, if you do not previously, by your manners, conciliate and engage the affections of those with whom you are to negotiate. Can you ever get into the confidence and secrets of the courts where you may happen to reside, if you have not those pleasing, insinuating manners, which alone can procure them? Upon my word, I do not say too much, when I say that superior good breeding, insinuating manners, and genteel address are half your business. Your knowledge will have but very little influence upon the mind, if your manners prejudice the heart against you. But on the other hand, how easily will you dupe the understanding, where you have first engaged the heart? And hearts are by no means to be gained by that mere common civility which everybody practices. Bowing again to those who bow to you, answering dryly those who speak to you, and saying nothing offensive to anybody, is such negative good breeding that it is only not being a brute, as it would be but a very poor commendation of any man's cleanliness to say that he did not stink. It is an active, cheerful, officious, seducing, good breeding that must gain you the good will and first sentiments of men, and the affections of the women. You must carefully watch and attend to their passions, their tastes, their little humours and weaknesses, and aller au devant. You must do it at the same time with alacrity and empressement, and not as if you graciously condescended to humour their weaknesses. For instance, suppose you invited anybody to dine or sup with you, you ought to recollect if you had observed that they had any favourite dish, and take care to provide it for them. And when it came you should say, You seem to me, at such and such a place, to give this dish a preference, and therefore I ordered it. This is the wine that I observed you liked, and therefore I procured some. The more trifling these things are, the more they prove your attention for the person, and are consequently the more engaging. Consult your own breast, and recollect how these little attentions, when shown to you by others, flatter that degree of self-love and vanity from which no living man is free. Reflect how they incline and attract you to that person, and how you are propitiated afterwards to all which that person says or does. The same causes will have the same effects in your behaviour. Women, in a great degree, establish or destroy every man's reputation of good breeding, you must, therefore, in a manner, overwhelm them with these attentions. They are used to them, they expect them, and to do them justice they commonly requite them. You must be seditious, and rather over-officious than under, in procuring them their coaches, their chairs, their conveniences in public places, not see what you should not see, and rather assist where you cannot help seeing. 
opportunities of showing these attentions present themselves perpetually. But if they do not, make them. As Ovid advises his lover, when he sits in the circus near his mistress, to wipe the dust off her neck, even if there be none, see si nullus tamen exucute nullum. Your conversation with women should always be respectful, but at the same time en jeu, and always addressed to their vanity. Everything you say or do should convince them of the regard you have, whether you have it or not, for their beauty, their wit, or their merit. Men have possibly as much vanity as women, though of another kind, and both art and good breeding require that instead of mortifying you should please and flatter it, by words and looks of approbation. Suppose, which is by no means improbable, that at your return to England I should place you near the person of some one of the royal family. In that situation, good breeding, engaging address, adorned with all the graces that dwell at courts, would very probably make you a favourite, and from a favourite a minister. But all the knowledge and learning in the world without them never would. The penetration of princes seldom goes deeper than the surface." It is the exterior that always engages their hearts, and I would never advise you to give yourself much trouble about their understanding. Princes in general, I mean those porphyrogenets who are born and bred in purple, are about the pitch of women, bred up like them, and are to be addressed and gained in the same manner. They always see, they seldom weigh. Your luster, not your solidity, must take them. Your inside will afterwards support and secure what your outside has acquired. With weak people, and they undoubtedly are three parts in four of mankind, good breeding, address, and manners are everything. They can go no deeper, but let me assure you that they are a great deal even with people of the best understandings. Where the eyes are not pleased, and the heart is not flattered, the mind will be apt to stand out. Be this right or wrong, I confess I am so made myself. Awkwardness and ill-breeding shock me to that degree, that where I meet with them, I cannot find in my heart to inquire into the intrinsic merit of the person. I hastily decide in myself that he can have none, and I am not sure that I should even be sorry to know that he had any. I often paint you in my imagination, in your present lontananza, and while I view you in the light of ancient and modern learning, useful and ornamental knowledge, I am charmed with the prospect, but when I view you in another light, and represent you awkward, ungraceful, ill-bred, with vulgar air and manners, shambling toward me with inattention and distractions, I shall not pretend to describe to you what I feel, but will do as a skilful painter did formerly, draw a veil before the countenance of the father. I dare say you know already enough of architecture, to know that the Tuscan is the strongest and most solid of all the orders, but at the same time it is the coarsest and clumsiest of them. Its solidity does extremely well for the foundation and base floor of a great edifice. But if the whole building be Tuscan, it will attract no eyes, it will stop no passengers, it will invite no interior examination. People will take it for granted that the finishing and furnishing cannot be worth seeing, where the front is so unadorned and clumsy. But if, upon the solid Tuscan foundation, the Doric, the Ionic, and the Corinthian orders rise gradually with all their beauty, proportions, and ornaments, the fabric seizes the most incurious eye, and stops the most careless passenger, who solicits admission as a favour, nay, often purchases it. Just so will it fare with your little fabric, which at present, I fear, has more of the Tuscan than of the Corinthian order. You must absolutely change the whole front, or nobody will knock at the door. The several parts, 
which must compose this new front, are elegant, easy, natural, superior good breeding, an engaging address, genteel motions, an insinuating softness in your looks, words, and actions, a spruce, lively air, fashionable dress, and all the glitter that a young fellow should have. I am sure you would do a great deal for my sake, and therefore consider at your return here what a disappointment and concern it would be to me, if I could not safely depute you to do the honours of my house and table, and if I should be ashamed to present you to those who frequent both. Should you be awkward, inattentive, and distrait, and happen to meet Mr. L. at my table, the consequences of that meeting must be fatal. You would run your heads against each other, cut each other's fingers, instead of your meat, or die by the precipitate infusion of scalding soup. This is really so copious a subject, that there is no end of being either serious or ludicrous upon it. It is impossible, too, to enumerate or state to you the various cases in good breeding. They are infinite. There is no situation or relation in the world so remote or so intimate, that does not require a degree of it. Your own good sense must point it out to you. Your own good nature must incline, and your interest prompt you to practice it and observation and experience must give you the manner, the air, and the graces which complete the whole. This letter will hardly overtake you, till you are at or near Rome. I expect a great deal in every way from your six months' stay there. My morning hopes are justly placed in Mr. Hart, and the masters he will give you, my evening ones in the Roman ladies. Pray be attentive to both. But I must hint to you that the Roman ladies are not les femmes savantes, et ne vous embarrassant point pour parmo du grec they must have il garbato il leggiadro il disinvolto il lusinghiero quel non soci che piace che aletta che incanta i have often asserted that the profoundest learning and the politest manners were by no means incompatible though so seldom found united in the same person and i have engaged myself to exhibit to you as proof of the truth of this assertion. Should you, instead of that, happen to disprove me, the concern indeed would be mine, but the loss will be yours. Lord Bolingbroke is a strong instance on my side of the question. He joins to the deepest erudition, the most elegant politeness and good breeding, that ever any courtier and man of the world was adorned with. And Pope very justly called him, all accomplished St. John, with regard to his knowledge and his manners. He had, it is true, his faults, which proceeded from unbounded ambition and impetuous passions, but they have now subsided by age and experience, and I can wish you nothing better than to be what he is now, without being what he has been formerly. His address pre-engages, his eloquence persuades, and his knowledge informs all who approach him. Upon the whole I do desire and insist, that from after dinner till you go to bed, you make good breeding, address, and manners your serious object and your only care. Without them you will be nobody. With them you may be anything. Adieu, my dear child. My compliments to Mr. Hart. End of section 59. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.